What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. On this week's episode of the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast, the Tennessee Volunteers are 1-0. Wasn't pretty, but Jarrett Garantano, game manager, JG, goes to Columbia and leaves with a win. But his third down passing numbers could not have been much worse. How does Jim Chaney and how does Tennessee make Jarrett Garantano more effective in this offense and how do the Vols make it look a little bit prettier this weekend against Missouri that's the main topic of discussion on episode 39 of the UT podcast. Grant Ramey of Go Vols 247 and Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel join me uh, for a roundtable discussion on Tennessee football uh, and maybe about 10 minutes as well on the Atlanta Braves who start the playoffs on Wednesday. I'm not getting my hopes up. Grant, uh, however, is getting his hopes up a little bit. As always, it's brought to you by Brentwood Hearing Center, who offers you five doctors of audiology with more than 85 years of combined experience. And you've seen their convenient location right off I-65 on Franklin Pike at the Brentwood Old Hickory exit. Pay them a visit at 5544 Franklin Pike. Find out what sounds you've been missing or give them a call at 615-377-0420. It's episode 39. It is the UT Podcast. It's week two, and it starts right now. All right, it is the week one recap of the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast here on the 104.5 The Zone Podcast Network. Joining me via the magic of Zoom, Grant Ramey of Go Vols 247, Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel. We have our video on today. Um, uh, Grant, would you like to describe what we are uh, both looking at right now on our screens? Well, for me, I'm in a professional uh, podcasting studio where the um, the noise buffering is really good. Uh, I have a professional microphone, and Mike is somewhere on the Jersey Shore um, in between gym tan and laundry sessions um with his zip what is this a sweatshirt it's a zip up sweatshirt yeah with way too much exposed <laughs> well, why would you need a t-shirt on underneath that's just two items of laundry you have i don't to- know i don't know he, he warned us ahead of time we shouldn't be video we should have listened it's our own get. fault for asking for video but uh this is where we are now what do we say grant this is how we learn that's true uh, appreciate y'all joining me today. Uh, certainly want to hit a number of things from week one against South Carolina. I guess it's week one. Really, it's week four. I'm calling it week one. Um, and then we'll preview a little bit of Missouri um, and then give our nervous levels, nervousness levels for Braves Reds uh, tomorrow, which is probably a dark topic that we should just maybe maybe start with. But for the sake of the listeners, we're going to end with that. Um, so, Lots to discuss today uh, with you guys, but let's start uh, with Tennessee's offense. We'll start with the quarterback position. Uh, Jarrett Garantano and Tennessee's offense, one for 12 on third downs. 
they get the win, but in going back and looking at the stats on Saturday, uh, on third downs, Jarrett Garantano, one for seven for 30 yards. Those 30 yards coming on a one-handed catch by Brandon Johnson. And on first and second down, 18 of 24 for 229 yards and a touchdown. So let's start with this. Are we buying that this is maybe a factor of quarterbacks and receivers not getting a lot of time together in the offseason like Jeremy Pruitt says, or is Jarrett Garantano just is who he is at this point and this is the full JG experience? I think it's entirely both at the same time. Um, I, I do buy into the importance of chemistry between a wide receiver group and a quarterback and that depending on how many players were out for how long, that was obviously hindered um, at, at points during preseason practice. But I do think at some point there has to be an accepting that this is who Jared Garantano is. He's going to miss some throws that frustrate the heck out of you. He's going to make some throws where you're like, well, why didn't you do that last time? Um, I mean, there's enough of a track record and, and a history now where you can't really be surprised by those things anymore. It's just kind of like, nope, this is exactly who Jared Garantano is. Yeah, I think it is who he is because he's had so many opportunities to prove he's somebody else. I mean, I do think for sure that losing or have, being without players as much as they were at the wide receiver position in camp was obviously a big deal, and I think that hurts you. But at the same time, throwing way too high for a receiver on the sideline or throwing behind a receiver over the middle, I don't really buy that that's chemistry. I think that's just who Jared Garantano is sometimes. He's an inaccurate quarterback. Uh, and I mean, it's even hard to tell – if you go through the box score, I mean, he accounted for 280-something yards and a couple touchdowns. He didn't turn the ball over. That's a pretty good night from a quarterback, night in and night out. But like y'all say, he's going to miss those throws that absolutely frustrate the heck out of you because you're trying to figure out who this guy is. And you, He's been given these opportunities to progress and show, you know, what he can do. He's a fifth-year senior. He's had plenty of opportunities. And you still watch South Carolina games Saturday night. They win on the road. That's a big win. But you come away with more questions about him. Uh, than you do answers. And, and maybe they improve. I like this receiver group. I think they got a lot of potential there. But right now, it's just, it is who he is. So here's the breakdown of the incompletions on third down. Uh, three incompletions on third and three, third and two, and third and six. A sack on third and six where he fumbled and, and picked it up. One run by Eric Gray, a one-yard run before the missed field goal by Samaglia. And then three more incompletions that are third and five, third and eight, third and six. And then the last third down non-conversion was Eric Gray's three-yard run on third and 27 uh, right before the last punt of the game. It's not like these are third and longs. I mean, these are plays where Tennessee could say, hey, let's dump it down to a guy like Ramel Keaton or Brandon Johnson two or three yards past the line of scrimmage, trying to let them run for a first down. But how do you scheme around a quarterback that can make 30-yard throws but is throwing high five yards over the middle on a slant? Uh, you try to put yourself in first and 30 situations. Uh, <laughs> that, that's got to be the answer at this point. Um, I don't know how you do that. But to me, a maddening element of the game and tangenting a little bit away from, from Jarek Aaron you know, was that, that drive with eight minutes left in the game for Tennessee where they threw, threw, threw. I think the second down was a drop by Keaton, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Um, but, but to me, a successful offense – is capable of running out the clock from that point or putting up points to end the game. Uh, they didn't do it again with, with four minutes, which I believe was that Eric Gray run on third and a million that you mentioned. 
Um, but Tennessee's offense was just hot and cold, and that was Derek Garantano to a T. It was the run game to a T. And I thought there were points where it was the play calling to a T as well. Um, it just seemed like there was a lot of rhythm that, that was missing throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I would agree with play calling. I mean, third and two and third and three, um, as, as good as this team should be on the offensive line and at running back, uh, you have to be converting a lot of those, I think, more so on the ground than, than through the air. And when you do uh, pass it on those, those down distances, you got to put yourself, uh, your quarterback, in a better position. I mean, you got to know what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. Jim Chaney, obviously, everybody's talked about it's his second year with Garantano. Garantano's never had a second year. Uh, the same play caller, the same offensive coordinator while he's been at UT. So uh, they, they have to be better there. Going one for 11 on third down, that's you, you don't win games doing that. That's, that's a once-in-a-million kind of uh, a scenario. And that one conversion being what it was, that was a good ball from uh, Garantano. Brandon Johnson was the only one who could catch it. It just took an insane catch to make it happen. But third and two, third and three, uh, you need to be a little bit more reliant, I think, on the ground game to convert those. Um, and I think it's got to be better play calling. The, the, I think the hot and cold can be a factor more so of the play caller uh, than the players on the field executing. I think, too, you saw Jarrett Garantano live up to why he was a dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school. Had a couple of good runs, and it feels like if you get him out of the pocket a little bit more and turn him into what the Titans have turned Ryan Tannehill into, a guy that rolls out on play action, that takes advantage of a run game, gets out of the pocket, and then there, if there's nothing – you're not forcing a throw. You're running five to ten yards, perhaps, to pick up a first down. That seems to be where Jarrett Garantano could take the next step in his offense, rolling out of the pocket and making easier reads in the play-action game. But like you said, I think you've got to also not abandon the run when it doesn't work early and really establish the run in order to, to have success on that side of the, uh, the passing game. Well, my biggest question with that notion would be, I mean, you can't trust Derek Garantano's accuracy sitting in the pocket. All right. I mean, at what point do you trust his accuracy, his accuracy rolling out? I mean, to, to Jared's credit, he, he walked into the post-game interviews. Well, I'm assuming walked in. We weren't there. We saw him on Zoom. <laughs> um, maybe crawled. I don't know. But he, he came in there. And he talked about his mechanical issues, throwing off the back foot, leaning back. I mean, he's aware of the things that he didn't do well in there. But, again, I think this doubles back to where we started, which is, Maybe this is just exactly who Jarek Garantano is and everyone's lives would be a little bit better for just accepting that. Um, I think that, that is especially held true for anyone on Twitter, um, just accepting that this is who the quarterback is. And, you know, maybe in a year from now, you're wishing it was your quarterback again because what we've seen from, from two of those backup guys isn't any better. Listen, I'm a Bears fan. I have a PhD in below average quarterback play um, after watching them for so long. And when people say get him out of the pocket, I think that's code for this guy's not a very good quarterback right, right now. Because when you need to get out of the pocket, you're talking about guys like Garantano. You're talking about a guy like Mr. Trubisky. You're talking about a guy – I was watching Browns-Bengals a couple of weeks ago on Thursday Night Football. They said you got to get Baker Mayfield out of the pocket. That's just because they can't stand in the pocket and be a very effective quarterback. Standing in the pocket means looking downfield, going through your progressions, making quick decisions, and delivering a good football uh, in a very short amount of time. I do think if you can get him out of the pocket and get him to use his legs more, I think there's definitely some comfort there. When you do get out of the pocket, I think it becomes a little bit more um, kind of backyard football, rely on your in instinct, just find a man open and get him the ball or run it, tuck it and run, get whatever yardage you can. So uh, I would agree, get him out of the pocket and see what he do can do because when he's in the pocket, we've seen what he can do, which is sometimes he's a very capable quarterback. Other times you don't know what's going on there, how he's throwing something. 
uh, that's 10 feet over the head of a receiver that's, you know, on the sideline to throw anybody should make. But wasn't Mitch Trubisky drafted second overall in the NFL draft? He was, but nobody was drafted behind him. He was the only quarterback <laughs> in that class. So could you blame the Bears? They had to take somebody. And the Bears didn't trade up or trade any picks. No, they did not. They actually traded down. Yeah, traded down to to make sure they didn't get Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Right, exactly. The only stat that matters right now is the current Bears starting quarterback has the same amount of Super Bowl rings as Patrick Mahomes, who was drafted behind Mitch Trubisky. That's that's the only analytic stat that matters right now, right? Listen, there were seven other teams that passed on Patrick Mahomes that do not have the current quarterback they had at the time of the 2017 NFL draft, okay? Is so that needs to, I read that on Twitter, so stop picking on the Bears. <laughs> and everything on Twitter is true, just like Facebook. Right, exactly. Of course. It just comes from younger people and Facebook or older people. Um, so I thought this was an interesting question. Uh, uh, this is kind of the last thing we'll hit on at the quarterback position. Uh, what is Tennessee's ceiling with – Jarrett Garantano basically being a push at the quarterback position because if he is who he is at this point and he minimizes the mistakes and gives you a, a touchdown or two a game, some nice down-the-field throws but doesn't turn the football over to the other team, how good can this Tennessee team be? Are they good enough to have a quote-unquote game manager, which I kind of hate that cliche, but you know maybe it sort of applies here. Can Tennessee beat some good teams with a push at the quarterback position? Absolutely. If, if you told me today that, that Jared Garantano would throw for 220 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions every game this year, I would pick Tennessee to win a lot of those games. Um, the, the turnovers are the biggest thing you can't have at the quarterback position. And, and as much as we're going to knock the accuracy, he didn't miss the other day where the other team could make a play on the ball. Right. Mostly because it was too far out of bounds. But the other team could make a play on the ball. Um, and there's something to be said for that. So, yeah, you can win a lot of games that way. I mean, I, I think it's you – know, I covered Michigan State for three years, and that was a system they used very much. Rely on the defense, run the ball, good up front, don't turn the ball over. You're going to win a lot of football games that way. So, I mean, the ceiling for this team is, is perfectly fine with Garantano. Um, I don't know if that's a, what a win total is with that, probably seven, given, given the teams they have to play. Um, but, no, I, I think you can absolutely win. And I don't mind the, the game manager moniker because, to me, it's a, it's a praise of your – good quarterback you're competent enough to lead a team to wins you're not going to hurt your team you might not make the spectacular plays but was it Jake Coker that Alabama won a title with a few years yeah. ago game manager 100% you can win games with, with a good team around you I think I picked him to win six games uh, in the preseason I think seven is just about the absolute ceiling and I think five and five might be kind of the the meatiest part of the curve there when you're trying to figure out uh, what the season is, but I agree with a run game that they should have with the offensive line that they do have um, with the secondary, which should be much improved once they get Sean Schimberger back and kind of move everybody back into their normal spots. Uh, I like the linebackers. They can generate a pass rush just by scheming people like we saw at South Carolina. Um, I like all the pieces around Jared Gantano to make me believe that he can be the, uh, the game manager that they need. And I think for him, that's a compliment. If you can just be a game manager, that's, uh, you're not asking him to go out there and win you a football game. You're asking him to go out there and steer the ship in the right direction to help you win a football game. So uh, I think he can do it. Uh, that was one of the things Saturday night, as much as he was struggling, I never felt like there was a time where make a change right here and since he's got a better chance to win this football game uh, just because of the score, the situation. He wasn't turning the ball over. They were moving some drives. They weren't moving other drives. It was kind of you know hard to predict in advance what was going to happen. So I think that could keep playing out where you, you're watching this team 
the way they play, the way they might be in games, and you're wondering, uh, is now a time to change? And if so, does that help? So I, I don't think so right now. I think he's a game manager that can really help this team uh, if he can just, like we said, limit mistakes, limit turnovers, uh, and produce what he has to produce. So let's talk about that run game a little bit because I was pleasantly surprised by the way Ty Chandler played. Uh, I thought coming into week one it was Eric Gray 1A, Ty Chandler 1B. At at least for week one it was the opposite as Chandler carries 13 times for 86, uh, has a 20-yard run in there. Eric Gray 12 carries for 40 with a touchdown. Uh, But my biggest complaint is the only one catch for Eric Gray. And it went for 31 yards. It was the flea flicker that just turned into a dump it down and see what you can get. If I have the one main complaint for the play calling or the distribution on offense, it's that only uh, it's that Eric Gray only gets one catch. Yeah, I think specifically on the run game element, I think Ty Chandler really made his case that at drive early in the third quarter. Um, I think he got the ball on all but one play on that one, one of the run plays. And then, then Jarrett took off and ran on another one. And that was where he kind of kind of turned up those yards. But I think that's a nice situation for Tennessee. I do hate this expression, ride the hot hand. Right. Um, but that is what we're going to see from Tennessee this year because they've got two guys that they can roll out there and feel good with. Um, yeah, the, the pass catching a little bit confusing. That was a nice little two-man game they played, though, on that, that flea flicker. Yeah. Uh, got to give them props on that. Um, but that's also the kind of thing where I imagine Jim Cheney's always going to have wrinkles in there to get, get the ball to, to Ty Chandler and Eric Gray. Um, it's also a nice way to get your quarterback comfortable and into a, into a rhythm is to, to get the running backs involved. But, yeah, I thought they were good. Uh, they didn't get the ball as much as I think I expected them to, given that that's where we expect the offense to probably thrive this year. Um, and I was very surprised to see Tennessee go away from the run after that third quarter success. Um, but but they know what they have in those guys, so they're going to be there. I think everybody kind of focuses on Eric Gray a little bit more as that 1A, like you were talking about, and Todd Chandler, 1B. Uh, I think Ty's more substance. Uh, I think he was more impressive Saturday night just in terms of his production. I think Eric Gray's just such a playmaker uh, that people have that in their head when they're thinking about him because of what he did in the Gator Bowl, what he did against Vanderbilt late in the season, and kind of the way his freshman season ended. Um, but I think you have to commit more to the run if you're Tennessee. That's my one of my bigger takeaways with Garantano. Commit more to the run because you have talent at running back. You know what you're getting out of those two guys, and you know what you should be getting out of your offensive line. You need to commit there and produce a lot more on, in the run game, uh, more consistently, I guess, and you can control games. You can shorten games. Uh, I mean, that's life in the NFL, really, is shorten a game as much as you can by relying on your strengths. I think this team – Need to rely on him. And I think when you watch Alvin Kamara, I think when you watch Eric Gray, the way uh, Kamara can affect the game, catching passes and getting down the field, like you talked about, well, one catch, that's not enough for Eric Gray. you got to get him more involved, almost like touches uh, in terms of rush attempts. So uh, the more times he can touch the ball, the better. And I think the more they commit to the run game, the better. Yeah, the bright side for Tennessee fans is that Butch Jones can't stop uh, Eric Gray like he stopped Alvin Kamara. That is Sounds like abs- a challenge. Absolutely good news for uh, for Tennessee. Uh, defensively, I, I thought Jeremy Banks is a guy that stood out, shows that he's still got really good potential at inside linebacker. Uh, Henry T, obviously, is a guy who I think is becoming the, the best player on this football team before our very eyes, um, uh, with uh, obviously the maybe exception of Trey Smith, but uh, two guys that really impact the game. Uh, but DeAndre Johnson, 
that guy has got to be the biggest surprise uh, of week one for Tennessee, right? The most necessary surprise too with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Tennessee obviously had a question mark at tight end and still does to some extent a question mark at wide receiver, just wondering which one of those guys is going to step up. Um, but who's going to pressure the quarterback was as big a question as Tennessee had going into this season. And, and seeing DeAndre Johnson not only get 2.5 sacks, but you know, force a fumble, be there a lot. Um, on top of that, Kevon Bennett, Tyler Barron getting in the backfield. I mean, that to me was probably the most encouraging thing that, that we saw from Tennessee um, on Saturday. And, and especially DeAndre Johnson, because you're talking about a guy there who you know, has been across from Daryl Taylor, got, probably got lost in that in terms of, well, what does he bring? What production does he bring? But if Tennessee can have one guy that they can really rely on, that obviously is going to open up other opportunities for other guys. And, and that's monstrous for this defense, given that the back end is the strength. Um, being able to pressure the quarterback eases that and, and really complements it. I think for the last couple of years, this staff, it, it's felt like they've got more production out of their defensive line and those outside linebackers than maybe they had talent for. I think they've overachieved there a little bit. And I think that just comes from you can, you can out-scheme somebody. Uh, and create pressure from your scheme more so than from your personnel uh, making it happen, being playmakers on the field. I, I think DeAndre Johnson is clearly a good football player. He showed it Saturday night. I think Kevon Bennett, he flashed a lot last year. I think he continued to do that Saturday as well. They're going to get production there, but I think a lot of the credit goes to, I think, Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Hansler are pretty good scheming uh, to get pressure on quarterbacks. And if they can just produce, you know, almost at half the level they produced Saturday night, I think they're going to be a really good football team up front. Uh, and that obviously changes a lot of things on the defense. But th those were huge question marks, and those were huge answers uh, for week one. I don't think anybody does a better job of scheming pressure from unlikely places than Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. And you saw that with Danico Slaughter, of all guys, getting in the backfield for Tennessee early. Uh, I think, too, when they get Daryl Middleton back in the interior of that line, once you have the speed around the edge, you force a quarterback to step up in the pocket – that interior pressure becomes as important as the outside pressure because if a quarterback can you know, step up in the pocket and run away, obviously the, the outside pressure doesn't do much for you. Um, so I, I think if I'm nitpicking at all from a defensive front seven standpoint, you get more interior pressure and it might make life that much easier for uh, some young edge rushers, including Tyler Barron, who is another guy that I wanted to see a lot more of based on the plays that he made in the backfield and in very limited snaps. Yeah, I think he had two tackles for loss against South Carolina and certainly flashed on both of those. Um, pr probably the biggest contribution from a true freshman. I mean, I think Slaughter played more, but... Yeah, got picked had, on more. What's that? He got picked on more. He got picked on a lot more. Yeah, he definitely um, did. Shy, Shy Smith is not a pleasant assignment for someone to draw in their first collegiate American football game. Um yeah, I think, you know, looking at the defensive line specifically, I think that's a unit that the first half of last season was not good um, at all. But by the end of the year, it was a pretty okay unit. Um, and we're seeing that growth continue into this year with, you know, guys like Matthew Butler. Um, Latrell Bumpus was a guy who drew a lot of praise in the preseason. Elijah Simmons drew the start uh, the other night, which I think might have been as surprising as anything um, when you're, we were looking at the overall lineup. Um, so they've got some guys there, and, and that's – that's got to be a good surprise for them building off the way they finished last year. And they're going to have to keep having those bodies there because late in the third quarter when South Carolina was uh, probably playing the best it had played all night, they were pushing around Tennessee's defense and they looked tired. 
uh, and they, they started to get some answers after the game was tied a little bit. I think that was uh, one of the more impressive uh, parts of the game defensively is the way they were able to get some late answers when they really needed it after they were starting to look tired. But, I mean, Tyler Barron, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the guts on this kid, the courage to wear number nine as an edge rusher at Tennessee um, after what happened uh, with Derek Barnett the last few years to, to try to follow that guy with 30-whatever sacks he had, 32-and-a-half, 33-and-a-half for his career, but he was impressive. He's a big body. It looks like he's ready to contribute from day one, uh, and they're going to have to find more guys like him uh, to keep that rotation on the defense line going. There's a cool backstory there, too. As uh, I'm sure you guys know, uh, Ralph Abernathy, a quality control assistant for Tennessee, Tyler Barron's stepdad. And when Ralph Abernathy was coaching uh, at a wonderful high school institution known as Brentwood Academy, uh, he coached Derek Barnett in high school. Derek Barnett wore number nine in high school. So I assume that uh, there was a personal blessing given there from right. uh, from Derek, who played at BA while Tyler was, I guess, an eighth grader at Innsworth, seventh or eighth grader at Innsworth, uh, and then he obviously transfers to Knoxville Catholic, where he finishes finishes his career. Uh, that's a guy, though, I think is is certainly certainly ready for a uh, a, a solid freshman year. Um, all right, so this Saturday it's another transfer quarterback uh, for Tennessee, Sean Robinson, the TCU transfer from Missouri. Um, uh, wins the job, plays week one, throws for 185 against Alabama. Uh, only six incompletions. Both quarterbacks play those, those top two, but they didn't really do much against Bama until the fourth quarter. Um, somehow Larry Roundtree, the third, still is in college. <laughs> I, I think he's beginning his ninth year at Missouri. Um, Maybe a, a bigger threat in the run game for Missouri based on um, you know, what Tennessee played this past week against South Carolina, but um, what specifically do you guys think Tennessee needs to do in order to be successful and, and stop what Missouri does? Yeah, I think Sean Robinson leads the SEC in completion percentage. Um, I believe you're right, yeah. Yeah, if my in-depth research that I did in the last two hours is to be trusted. Um, but yeah, I, I think obviously Tennessee is so used to, Tennessee fans are so used to seeing a Drew Locke, Missouri offense, putting up a lot of points and stuff. It's a different brand now. Um, and I think maybe the hardest thing to evaluate on that team is the only uh, Drinkwitz film, the new coach, the only film you've got on that guy is Missouri versus Alabama. And how do you, how do you really gauge that? How do you learn a lot from that? So um, it's hard to know really what's there with this team other than, as you said, Larry Roundtree, who has been around since I think Missouri joined the SEC. Um, Larry Roundtree the ninth. <laughs> yeah, his kids are going to be there in the year 2400 um great 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 grandkids that's kind of the guy that that i i expect to see more of and i was surprised to not see do more in the opener but running on alabama is, is easier said than done i think you better run the football well uh you better commit to the run early establish it early and be able to rely on it and lean on it as the day goes on uh, i don't want to say take the ball out of Derek garantano's hand but limit it if you can to not have to ask him to do too much. I mean, you're, you're an 11 point, 10 point, whatever it is, favorite uh, in Vegas for this game for a reason. Uh, play like it. Um, play, you know, defensively sound. Don't turn the football over uh, on offense and create more turnovers uh, on defense. Uh, I don't know what the tur turnover number was Saturday night. I know obviously the late one, but I can't remember before that uh, what happened turnover-wise. But create turnovers, continue to pressure the quarterback. There was one turnover, Mike said. Only signal. Remember Henry Toto? He had a great oh, tweet about it. Yes. How could you forget your moment of life? Uh, I blacked out after that. <laughs> and I've never seen somebody 
pick off, uh, intercept a pass, and then like truck stick the guy that the pass was intended for. Why? Because Shaw Smith got in the way. I mean, that was yeah, that was incredible. But yeah, create Turner was more of that pressure the passer like you did at South Carolina. Uh, the biggest thing for me establish a run game early and be able to lean on. It. Grant, you 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 peaked on Twitter with the uh, Henry to touchdown touchdown or however you would actually pronounce that. That was ten out of ten. I was I was actively sought out at church the next day for somebody who wanted to make fun of me for that tweet. <laughs> Haters are everywhere, yeah. even church. Incredible. Um, all right, so uh, quick transition. Uh, this is not a Vegas line; it's a line I created. Uh, over under two and a half runs the Atlanta Braves score on Trevor Bauer on Wednesday. Over, of course. Yeah, Mike? over, but I'm going to get hurt anyway. <laughs> Listen, I've already talked myself into it, okay? Why would you do that? I've already, I'm so stupid. I've already <laughs> talked myself into it. I've watched it the last two years and had my heart broken. This year, I've talked myself into it. There's no fans at the game. If they so? do get out, If they do get out of this, it'll be at neutral sites they don't go on the road um i think ha- why, why they've faltered or clammed up in the past offensively why things have gone wrong has been the stage the atmosphere whatever the environment did you see mike fulton last year that was at home <laughs> yes yes that's, well, that's the point that's, that's still a big stage though even if the fans are for you that's still a big stage you had a this dominant is, game earlier in the series this is nobody here I've talked myself into it. I'm so stupid. Why would you do this to yourself? Because I'm stupid. I told you I'm stupid. I talked myself out of anything positive happening in the postseason the day Mike Soroka uh, popped his Achilles. That was it for me. That's water under the bridge. you got to move on. I I, I was done the day Alex Anthopoulos traded for Tommy Malone. (laughs) That that, that really stuck the dagger in me. Whatever happened to that guy? Back to the World Series run. I don't know if he's on the team anymore. Maybe he that, got like credit yeah. to the Braves PR staff because that dude disappeared. Yeah. He got, he got uh, el- elbow inflammation. Oh, that's right. Okay. Of course he is. Yeah. I mean, he gave my eyeballs inflammation. <laughs> he gave my fantasy team stats inflammation too. He, fl- he inflamed the score for the other team. Well, week in and week out. It is just so peak Atlanta Braves to have the second best record in the national league and then draw the best pitching staff in the national, the best starting yeah. pitching staff in the national league in a three game series. I mean, that, that listen, is peak Atlanta Braves. Listen, you got Max Freed to match Trevor Bauer and you got Ian and you Anderson. Got Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. Well, first they got to get to game three first. Okay. Relax. On <laughs> Sonny Gray. Ian Anderson. Why, why can't Ian Anderson pitch? Cool. Kyle Wright in game three. Hey, Colorado's rolling, baby. I would, rolling. I would almost rather see Johnny Holstaff take the mound in game three. Oh, um, I like I, I think Kyle could still be good. Not gonna say great. I'm just gonna say good. But I don't know if he's gonna be good in a game deciding when that dude mentally is not strong enough. I don't. He got, I don't a, think. He got a win a couple weeks ago, and from the there, from there, the confidence was flowing. <laughs> he he no hit basically <laughs> the Mets like two hit seven inning shutout. I mean, come on, he can keep that rolling. Do not try to talk me into this. I'm ready to get hurt. Just I listen. know I'm going to get hurt. So just listen, just to, like, the, listen yeah. to the stupid part of your brain. There, it can happen. There's not enough of it. Um, Don't you remember like, the Angels in the outfield? How old was Lyle Lacuna the last time the Braves won a postseason series? Three. 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 Yeah, I, I'm not going to tell you how old I was last time. Yeah, 
No, I, okay. I, I was four the last time the Braves won a, uh, a divisional series. The Braves have the NL MVP, Freddie Freeman. They have the home run leader and RBI leader in the NL, Marcelo Zuna. And one starting pitcher. They have Ronald Acuna. Listen, I'm not talking about pitching. I'm talking about the offense. The Indians almost did it in 16 with, like, what, one starting pitcher there? Thank you. When over the last two years have you ever thought this offense was as good as it's been right now? Never. Never even close. Like, I never never wanted to play the Dodgers the last two playoffs because their offense is so insane. I think the Braves have that kind of offense now. Here's my my hope, uh, and this is what I'm talking myself into, is that the Braves are the two-seed and – the underdog for most people right now. I think if they embrace the underdog role and not the, this is our year, let's kick that sucker down, uh, uh, censoring what Brian Snicker said on a hot mic last year uh, after the the end of the season, if they actually embrace the underdog role of, hey, we have the best offense in baseball and people still aren't picking us to win, that's that's A of, of why I have hope. B, Trevor Bauer did not pitch against a lineup as good as the Braves his entire season. No. And his uh, that's why I, I, I unpopular opinion, I still think DeGrom should be the Cy Young winner because of who he went up against based on who Bauer went up against. So that is that's the hope I have that I still am ready to get hurt again. I think the Braves will lose in three. But maybe uh, maybe they did a don't pick us video and there's gonna be a hundred year old nun uh, who comes in and drop kicks them out of the playoffs. Savagery. <laughs> as, you, as you've been talking, all that's playing through my, my head is the Astros ALCS, Joey Devine giving up the homer to Chris Burke. Brooks Conrad with booting it all over the field. Oh, I was at that game. Rule. Yadier Molina broken bad over Freddie Freeman. This is a highlight reel of things that make me want to Chris watch. Martin's oblique after coming out to warm up. Uh, throw that Not in there, too. Chris, Listen, Chris, Martin's, Chris Martin's already hurt. He got that out of the way Good. <laughs> against the hey, Red Sox over the weekend. Can we confirm if Craig Kimbrell is still warming up in Los Angeles? Will he be available oh. in time for the uh, the Cubs? <laughs> Literally, I, uh, the, the <laughs> low light reel is just playing through my mind. That's all I can hear and feel. When did any of those teams have the best offense in baseball? The best lineup? They didn't, it didn't matter what they had. They lost anyway. Brooks Conrad trust, playing second base. Who don't you trust in this lineup? Besides Nick Marquez. <laughs> and your NCRTA? <laughs> He's not going to play. <laughs> He's not. He didn't play for three weeks. Praise God. It's uh, going to happen. Just talk yourself into it. No, I'm not you. Maybe the, the year it finally happens is the year none of us actually think it's going to happen. That's, yes. I, I, I can buy into that, that line Rick, of thinking. Stop thinking it's going to happen. They're going to get to the World Series, and we're going to be complaining about how we can't go to the World Series. No, no. They're going to get to the World Series. Half the team's going to get COVID, and then they're going to have to forfeit. That was my preseason projection. That's what I'm holding to. And on that dark, dark note, uh, this concludes our, our podcast today. Uh, Tennessee with a side of Braves. Look, most of you guys are Braves fans anyway. We know it. So I uh, appreciate you uh, sitting with us through that. Appreciate you guys both for uh, joining the show today. Uh, hopefully when the Braves are popping the champagne, heading to uh, wherever the World Series is. I don't One of those Texas cities. Um, where is it? Arlington. Globe Lock Park. That's right. That's this right. is me raising the roof. <laughs> whenever we, uh, whenever I, I will have the champagne ready for us all to be enjoying uh, after the Braves somehow win the NLCS. So, uh, gentlemen, appreciate the time today. Always. You got to believe.
All right, so week one of the books. We're going to get to my week two SEC picks against the spread coming up here in a moment. But want to pause again to thank the folks that make this podcast possible. That's Brentwood Hearing Center, your sound solution for over 30 years in the state of Tennessee. And they've been offering sound solutions to help you improve your hearing life for a very long time in the mid-state. If you're familiar with hearing devices, maybe you've considered looking into it. Uh, let Brentwood Hearing Center introduce you to the Phonak Marvel, which is a revolutionary new hearing aid that connects wirelessly to both iPhone and Android devices, plus your television, too. You can listen to this podcast via Bluetooth. You can check out your favorite show and listen in surround sound with your hearing aids. It's incredible technology. They're ready to tell you about it online at BrentwoodHearingCenter.com, or you can give them a call. Uh, go ahead and bookmark this phone number, 615 377 0420. Okay, so last week, four and three. We're off to an okay start. Uh, Georgia, want to thank you for the backdoor cover. Thank you for figuring out how to play offensive American football in the second half to cover the spread against Arkansas. Florida made it close. Tennessee, they covered, I had them at three and a half. So, Look, we're going off ESPN.com. Uh, we're just going with the first number we see. I, I said Tennessee three and a half. They win by four. So narrow wins. Uh, I think we, yeah, we had one point wins uh, for three of our wins. Vanderbilt plus 31. That was easy from the beginning. Uh, Ken Seals, Vandy look okay over the weekend. So that one we did not win by one. That one uh, was was quite easy against the Aggies. Okay, so week two picks. Uh, we'll start 11 a.m. window, South Carolina at Florida. Kyle Trask is so good. Why does Kyle Trask have to be so good? Kyle Pitts, that dude's pretty good too. Uh, I think Tennessee fans are not going to be happy when they see how many points Florida is going to put up against South Carolina when Tennessee goes 1 for 12 on third downs against South Carolina. Trask throws for 416 last week. I think he might be even better on Saturday afternoon against the South Carolina Gamecocks. The number is 17.5. I will take Florida and the points in the swamp. Other 11 o'clock game, Central. Missouri at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, an 11.5-point favorite. That number started to come down. It started around 13. It's down closer now to 11 most places. And I don't see Tennessee beating anybody in the SEC by double digits the way they played on Saturday. Now, maybe they play better than they did Saturday, and this is a different conversation because I think that is a, a somewhat reasonable number. But for week two, with how many mistakes that Tennessee had against Missouri, I don't see it. Uh, I think Tennessee wins outright by a touchdown. Uh, but I think Missouri is going to cover that 11.5 number. Now, you eliminate the mistakes, this could be a blowout. Tennessee at home could pull away late, could end up covering that total and getting a two-touchdown win. Would not surprise me at all. I think if this game is week five or six, then absolutely I could see Tennessee covering that number. But the way they played Saturday, the mistakes they made in the special teams game, and the mistakes that they made offensively on third downs, uh, I don't think they're confident enough to beat a team by more than two touchdowns in the SEC. 
with the exception of maybe Arkansas. 2.30 game on CBS, Texas A&M at Alabama. I am shocked that Alabama is only a 17-point favorite, which means that likely I'm going to miss on this one because Vegas always knows better than I do, or most of us. But I will take Alabama by more than 17 points. That is my easiest pick of the week. That is my lock of the week. Uh, I'll take the Crimson Tide at home at Bryant-Denny Stadium. That'll still be a, a decent atmosphere. A&M looked awful, awful defensively against Vanderbilt uh, and offensively as well. Just never really put stuff together. Uh, I like Alabama minus 17. 3 o'clock, Ole Miss at Kentucky. I think this is a tough one, uh, and I'm going to maybe go a direction that could surprise some people. I'm going to take Ole Miss plus 6.5. I thought Corral and Plumley were really fun to watch in that offense last week. Kentucky probably wins by a field goal, uh, maybe a, a couple more points there, but I like Ole Miss to keep this close, and I was, quite frankly, pretty disappointed in how Kentucky looked week one at Auburn. Yes, they had a touchdown wiped off the board that 100% should have counted at the end of the first half, but uh, I think Kentucky deserved more from that game. Uh, I don't know how good Auburn really is. Uh, I don't. Uh, we'll talk more about here, that here in a second, but I don't know how good Auburn is at all. Uh, I don't really know how good Kentucky is. So uh, I'm going to go with the lane train to cover, keep that close, but I do think Kentucky goes to 1-1 one and one at home against Ole Miss. Auburn at Georgia. I went against the Tigers last week. Went with Kentucky outright and against the spread. Uh, and Auburn looked pretty good. Uh, offensively, I thought they were good in the red zone. Uh, they get one of the mosses of the year from Seth Williams, who makes just a, a stupid catch and pretty much dunks on a Kentucky defensive back. Uh, but Georgia's tough. And what do they look like with JT Daniels cleared at quarterback? Uh this one is is tough for me as well. I'm going to take Auburn plus seven, uh, but again, I think Georgia wins this one outright. I'm not sure either of these teams are that great right now, uh, but quite frankly, week one in a new offense for JT Daniels, I don't trust Georgia to put up enough points to cover a touchdown spread. I think there's a lot of field goals. I think that's an ugly defensive game in Athens, so I'll take Auburn plus seven, but I'll take Georgia to win the football game. So then the only home underdog of the week, right here in Nashville, the Vanderbilt Commodores, a 20-and-a-half-point underdog to LSU. I think I like Vandy here. For the second straight week, I think Vanderbilt's getting disrespected in Vegas. I didn't like the 31-point spread they had at A&M, and I don't see how a team that only gave up 17 points last week could be a three-touchdown underdog at home even if there really is no home field advantage, nor has there ever been, uh, at Vanderbilt Stadium. But I do think Ken Seals looks like the real deal uh, against an LSU secondary who literally gave up the worst game in SEC history, depending on which way you look at it. For Mississippi State, it's the best passing game in SEC history. Uh, I think Vandy will score some points here. I think they'll keep this thing close. I like LSU to win by probably 10 to 14 but I don't know if this LSU team is as good as a lot of people think they are just because they're wearing purple and gold. Uh, I'll take Vanderbilt plus 20 and a half. And then Arkansas at Mississippi State, the third of the three 630 kickoffs that we're going to monitor this week. 
18-point favorite, Mississippi State. Really good matchup between Barry Odom and Mike Leach. And Arkansas is not very good, but give them credit for hanging in there, albeit against a freshman quarterback for much of the first half against Georgia. I think Barry Odom is a good defensive coordinator. And I'm interested to see how he matches up against Mike Leach, K.J. Costello, and Kylan Hill in that Mississippi State offense. But I am going to take State minus 18. I think they put up big, big, big points here that Felipe Franks in Arkansas just quite frankly cannot keep up with. Uh, So I think that's a pretty easy pick as well. I'll take Mississippi State minus 18 uh, at home against the Arkansas Razorbacks. All right, so that is going to do it. For us today, uh, a Tuesday afternoon pod uh, for your listening pleasure. Check back with us probably next Tuesday again. I think that's probably going to be our routine this year in football season. Uh, We will have a full recap of Tennessee and Missouri. uh, and Get ready for a big one. Man, it's sneaking up on me. Tennessee, Georgia. Had to double-check my calendar. That is week three. It's weird playing Georgia uh, this early in the season, even though this is still the the usual weekend that Tennessee would play Georgia, uh, early October. So uh, that one will be good. Uh, and I think we'll know a lot more about Georgia based on how they look against Auburn uh, and have a pretty good idea for what that game could look like from a Tennessee perspective uh, after that 6.30 kick down there in Athens this weekend. So we will talk to you next week. That's going to do it for me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening on Apple on Spotify, on Google Play, on Stitcher, 1045thezone.com, everywhere. If you're listening on the Zone podcast feed, make sure you search out the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast. Uh, and that way, every time we do an episode here, it's going straight to your phone. I mean, it's it's literally that easy. Uh, so don't just find us on the Zone podcast feed. Make sure you're subscribing uh, and make things that much easier for a big fall uh, of Tennessee football every single week right here on the 104.5 The Zone Podcast Network. That is going to do it. Enjoy your football weekend. Enjoy week three. That's kind of week five. Uh, And we'll talk to you next Tuesday on the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast. Let Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I wasn't like in a company, and I don't know like how marketing, sales. Yeah, you're a brand. You're a company. Yeah, and like Jay Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah, yeah. To that, remind me not to quote any hip hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. When you first said it, I'm like, yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.